Welcome to the Granary Church podcast. We're happy you could join us. For more information on the Granary Church, head to granary.org.au or follow our socials at the Granary Church. So good to be with you this morning and so so good to be a part of this extraordinary church. It's a tiny cog in the world of what happens here. I've um, When I finished up pastoral ministry in, the, in Lake Quarry, my wife and I looked for a church and we came here. This is the second church we came to and I'll give the address to the other one. Um, no, and we just, we found a, we just found a home here. Uh, extraordinary leadership under Pastor Sue and Stu. I work with Stu and a uh, whole bunch of other pastors. Extraordinary leadership. I felt like I was in heaven, as I said in the first service, when I turned turn up with musos and singers like these guys. They're good, aren't they? Yeah. Yes, you may clap. Yeah. yeah. And I, I, know that, I know they don't want your applause, but it's a good way of just saying thank you for what they do week in and week out. People on the desk at the back are extraordinary. Um, they, they, you don't see them, but they... Matt and his team are just brilliant, and Ian Barson, I mean, how good is he? So it's just, I felt like I kind of landed in heaven when I came here because it was just as easy. It was easy to be here, so it's a privilege to be part of you, you. So how many of you don't know me? You know, how many of you, like Sam, have no clue? Excellent. So what I said in the first service is, if you want to get to know me a little bit and have a chat, buy me a coffee. White, no sugar. Flat white, no sugar. Um, and yeah, love to love to meet you and have a chat. I get to build on the extraordinary foundation that Sue started off a couple of weeks ago and then Paul uh, picked up last week. If you missed those services, go back, have a listen. Fantastic stuff. I just get to layer on top of that because it's really all about the acts of the Holy Spirit. None as the acts of the apostles, but really it's the acts of the Holy Spirit through the apostles. And I get to build on that this morning. So how about we pray? And we're going to launch into it. Good? Okay. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the opportunity of worshipping you, the freedom to be able to worship in such a way. We thank you. We thank you that you are here. You are unmistakably here. We thank you for what you want to do in each life. Father, you know where each person is on their journey with you. You know what they need, even if they don't. And I pray that today that we will all say yes to you, to what you want to speak into our lives and the next part of the journey you want to take us on as we keep in step with your Holy Spirit. To that end, Father, we want to give you all the glory and give you all the praise and thank you for what you're going to do. In Jesus' name we pray that. Amen. How good is that? Well, I'm going to start with a confession. My confession is this. I am not a very good Australian. Just saying, not a very good Aussie bloke in particular because I don't drink beer. Oh, dear, I know. Please forgive me. I don't drink beer. I don't really like meat pies very much. Oh, come on. I, I lived in the best meat pie place for years in Cronulla, like Cronulla Sullivan area. They had the best meat pie shop in Cronulla in history. I don't know why I said that. But anyway, you can, if you go down the canal, just look for um, I don't like meat pies very much. It's just not my favourite food. And I don't, oh, this is hard. I don't follow the NRL. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't follow, I don't like, I don't know. I just, I just don't like rugby league. But there's one other thing that I don't, 
I don't really like that. Aussies seem to have embraced, in fact, they're quite enamoured and, and they've kind of fallen in love with reality TV. That's an Australian thing. How many, now, come on, you all watch reality TV, yeah? You're right. So, so the stats say, the stats say in Australia, about 60-something percent of Australians watch reality TV and 37% of them lie about it, right? So that's kind of, <laughs> but not here, of course. No, no, not here, of course. I, I can't stand reality TV because, number one, and you know this, you're smart people, you get this, it's not real. I had a mate who worked on a reality TV program. He was actually a sound person and he said, you've got no idea what they do. You know how scripted it is, how directed it is, how much it's edited. You've got no idea. And I said, oh, I think I might, <laughs> you know, because we know, don't we? It's not real. It's really not that real. And so, but Australians had this love affair with reality TV, but I don't. But there is one part of reality TV that I will steal myself to kind of watch and I, and I like it. I like this part. And that is the transformation stories that you see with reality TV. So the, in some of them, it's like you get this implicit transformation, which kind of, you know, people say, oh, I've gone on this and I'll never be the same again. My life has changed. Yeah, right. So there's those implicit ones, but then you get the explicit ones, the ones that kind of stand out that you can actually see. So I remember the first time I saw The Block, I think I watched the whole program of The Block once, never again, because I couldn't stand all the histrionics and the drama that go in the arguments. I go, give me, I've got a life. I don't need to watch your life. So I couldn't stand that. So I just go to the Sunday where you get the reveal. And I didn't see anything. You just go and go, all right. Um, so that's where there was nothing. Now there's a kitchen. How good is that? And you can see the difference. You know what I mean? And I like to celebrate that, especially when you try to do a reno on your own house and you go, Oh, that looks interesting. What were they doing with a tile choice? I don't know. But anyway, you get these ideas. But I like seeing the change from what, where there was nothing to now there's a beautiful kitchen or bathroom or whatever it might be. Another show I, I used to, I never watched it, but I watched the final show of the whole series and that was The Biggest Loser. Anyone watch The Biggest Loser? Anyone been on it? I feel like I, anyway, <laughs> I feel like I should be on it. But um I like that because at the end, the, the contestants come out and you get to see this cardboard cutout of what they looked like when they first went in and now what they look like now. And you go, well, that's just extraordinary. You feel like, you feel like celebrating with these people because there's been a huge transformation in their life. But the one that kind of warms my heart, and I'm kind of embarrassed to say this, um, but I, gotta, I kind of feel like you probably watch this as well and that's uh, Beauty and the Geek. How many of you watch Beauty and the Geek religiously? You know, a few heads are nodding and the rest of you are kind of, I do watch it but I don't want to admit it, you know. I don't, I don't watch it but I like seeing the transformations. For those who don't know what that is, it's a whole bunch of girls who are the beauties of course and there's a whole bunch of guys who are the geeks and the guys are usually guys, I'm a geek, so that's all right. Uh, they're usually guys who've been sitting in their mum's lounge room till the age of 35, like playing video games with tracky dacks and Pokemon t-shirts and haven't had a haircut since I was 10, that kind of thing. And so they come in and they have these relationships and they try and help each other. It's kind of sweet and whatever. But I just watch, my wife watches it and she calls me down and says, okay, they're going to do one of some of the geek transformations. And so what they do is the geeks go and they get a stylist. So it's not St. Vincent de Paul anymore. It's actually another sort of stylist. And they, and they get a haircut and all that sort of stuff. And it comes to the point where the big reveal is, where the big transforce, transformation happens with these guys. And I mean, you've... 
Come on, you've seen it. They've got a, a two doors. They've got a picture of the geek on the front of the door and then the music swells, uh, smoke machines kick in, the lights flash, all the girls are going, ah, I can't wait to see them. And the doors part and there's the geek standing in darkness. And so he has to step into the light. The message there, isn't there? He's going to preach that one. He's going to step into the light. Everyone gets to see the transformation. And basically when he steps in, they all cheer and they scream and basically it's just a geek with a haircut. But <laughs> apart from that, it's still... I love something that warms my heart because you sort of go, I just love seeing transformation in people. And, uh, but I guess I'm sensing that you're the same, but I'm more interested in the transformation of what God's doing in you. Not stuff you see on the outside. As good as that is, and I you know, still want to cheer that, but I'm more interested in what God wants to do in me. You're the same? Yeah. Like, I don't want to be the same person in six months' time than I am now, six weeks' time. I don't want to leave here the same person. I want God to do something in my life. That's the kind of transformation I want in my life. I sense it's the transformation you want in your life as well. There's a, I, I don't like quoting from books I haven't read, but I'm going to make an exception because this is the book I'm probably going to read from my, my grandson when he can actually understand what I'm saying. It, this is a, from a children's story. It says this, isn't it odd? We can only see our outsides, but nearly everything happens on the inside. That's good, isn't it? Kid story. We can only see our outsides, but everything happens on the inside. I'd want to push the boundaries in that a, a little bit and say, yeah, actually what's on the inside will come out on the outside. You know, it's like out of the heart, the mouth speaks, it says in Proverbs. I want to push that a little bit, but it's still, it's, it's true, isn't it? We see what's on the outside, but what's important is on the inside. And I'm, I'm kind of encouraged by that. Because as Paul says, therefore we do not lose heart because even though the outsides are decaying, and I wish you'd used a different word to decaying, but it pretty much describes me, um, our, our inner person is being renewed day by day. And that's really encouraging to me and looking around the room, it should be encouraging to a lot of you as well. Because <laughs> I'm feeling like it's hard for me to step up there with my knees, like it's, everything's sort of, sort of falling apart but I'm being renewed on the inside day by day. And that's kind of a, that kind of chronicles my life. If I look back over my life as a follower of Jesus, I can, I can see those sort of points in my life where I started out as a little kid. My father actually led me to Jesus when I was about, I don't know, maybe about five. I remember a little kid kneeling, against, uh, kneeling down against my bed and dad leading me in a prayer. And then I went in so excited that I'd given my life to Jesus as much as I understood at that time. It was very, very real. I remember it like it was yesterday. And then again, at 12, I had this experience with God. It's like I just had to recommit my life about the age of 12. I think it was a Billy Graham crusade, actually, that I went out. Um, went out there. I was just so impacted by what was happening in my life. And then again, at 17, I, I identified my life with Jesus as a believer. And I went through the waters of baptism. And, uh, and I didn't do it because I was a good Baptist. It wasn't that. Um, <laughs> It was basically because something happened inside me and Jesus kind of called me to do that. And so if you're thinking about doing that, as you know, it's coming up, please do it. That was a powerful, powerful time for me. But then after that, for a, a number, of, number of years, I kind of drifted, not directly after it, but a few years later, I kind of drifted and, and um, I didn't lose my faith. I still have my faith, but I wasn't living, I was basically a Christian atheist. In other words, I'm a Christian. I still believe in Jesus. I still believe there's God, 
but I wasn't living like I did. And so I kind of lost my way a little bit. And then God brought me back through an extraordinary experience with him. He grabbed me by the throat and just like, enough's enough, you know, brought me back to him. And I had this experience of, of, of the Holy Spirit that I didn't have the language to describe at that particular time. The only way looking back on it was I was immersed in the Holy Spirit. So I had an immersion in water or I was wet on the inside and I had an immersion in the Holy Spirit where I was on fire on the inside. Everything changed for me. So before I had this immersion in the Spirit, you see, as a Christian, there were things that I don't do and things that I should do or do do. Does that make sense? And you, you know this, and they're not all bad. Number one, things you don't do is you don't smoke, you don't drink, you don't swear. You, if you're Baptist, you don't dance. <laughs> just saying. And you don't hang out with people who do those things, right? And there's a whole bunch of things you just don't do. It's but. It's basically behavioural modification. That's what it was. And there's a whole lot of things that you do do. So if you're a follower of Jesus, of course, you pray and you read the Bible and you go to church and, and you know, you share your faith and all this sort of stuff. Those are the things that you do do. Now, when I had this immersion in the Spirit with God, everything changed. I went from I have to do, I have to, to I get to. Those are worlds apart. Like, I have to pray, now I get to pray. I have to read the Bible, now I get to spend time with Jesus every day in his word. I have to go to church and it was like every time the church doors were open, you go, oh, it's open, there's something going on. You turn up and they go, it's a ladies' meeting. Oh, well, <laughs> I didn't know. All right, so it's just like you just want to be with God's people. Before it was like um, you have to share your faith. And you're always looking for the perfect, perfect, perfect moment. And then now it's like I'm looking for it. I'm going, you know what I'm saying? It's chalk and cheese. It's black and white. It's water and oil or whatever, whatever you want to use. I, I had to, now I get to. See, the Holy Spirit is the game changer. He changed everything in my life. And it kind of reminded me of the, the early church, Paul where Pastor Paul spoke about it last week in, in Acts 2, it described, it's both, I believe, descriptive and prescriptive of the early church. This is what we're supposed to do. It's something that still goes through to the day. The, the early church are people who are filled to overflowing with the Holy Spirit. They shared their faith. They met together. They prayed together. They ate together. They were to, together the whole time. And it kind of reminded me of that because there's three words it kind of set that off for me in Acts 2.42. The first three words of that says, they, that is people of church, devoted themselves. They devoted themselves. They devoted themselves to prayer. No one told them, you have to pray now that you're a follower of Jesus. They just said, that's what we're doing. Why would you not want to do that? They, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching because there's no Bible. No Bible for a few, a few hundred years to come, right? Fourth century. So there's no Bible. So they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. They devoted themselves to community. And no one told them to do that. It's just what the Holy Spirit was doing. And that for me, I looked at it, when I read that, I thought that kind of describes for me what it was like. And, uh, and so that's, that's what I find that impacts my life day to day. Now, do I get it perfect? No. 
They get it right all the time? Never. I'm constantly, I live a life of repentance. It's about every day. It's like, oh, what a, come on, Lord, recalibrate my life. I want to be following you. So it's not a perfect life. It just means there's something within me that when I do drift, it draws me back daily, daily to want to follow him. Now, I want to follow this morning the story of, that follows on from Acts 2, of two apostles, Peter and John, primarily Peter, because Peter's the mouth in this one. And, uh, and I want to show you how the Holy Spirit changed everything, how he changes these people into the kind of people that God wanted them to be. And you've got to understand, there's a few things you've got to uh, understand first. First of all, this same Peter, this whole event takes place about seven, eight, nine weeks after the resurrection. So it's very, very soon after resurrection. This is not like seven years, seven months. This is like just a few weeks after Jesus has gone to be with the Father. So Peter, before that, had denied that he even knew Christ, number one. Number two, he ran when Christ was, was arrested. He skedaddled. He just got out of there. Number three, when he was told that Jesus had risen from the dead by Mary Magdalene, he didn't believe her. When he went to the tomb, he still didn't believe Later on, he said, okay, guys, I've, I'm giving up. I'm going fishing. Not literally I'm giving up, but it's like he's saying, I'm going fishing. I'm just going fishing. Who wants to come? It's like, there's three and a half years of my life. I'm just not going to get back. That was kind of the attitude behind that. And then the Apostle Peter and Apostle John, for that matter, they met Jesus, didn't they? They met the risen Christ. And everything changed from that point. They had a foundation for the faith. Let me tell you something. That is the foundation for your faith as well. Did you realise that? The risen Jesus Christ is the foundation of your faith. No resurrection, no foundation. The risen Christ is your faith foundation and it was for them as well. If you were asked Peter in those days, what's the foundation of your faith? And you'll hear it going through from Acts 3, then you'll hear that it's the person of Jesus Christ, the risen Jesus Christ. So there's two things that we need to understand, we need to keep in mind going through this passage. The first one is that the foundation of Peter's faith, foundation of your faith, is the risen Christ. The second one I've called the firebrand, the firebrand of your faith, because they both start with F. It's very Baptist of me. Anyway, the firebrand of your faith simply, firebrand is the game changer. Another way of saying the game changer. When the Holy Spirit comes on you, he burns up all the stuff that doesn't matter within you. He really does. There's a whole lot of things I just don't care about anymore. Sounds terrible, but it's actually not. God just tends to burn up all the things that are inside you that really don't matter. And so that's the firebrand of your faith. And I want you to keep those two things in mind. The foundation of the faith, which is the risen Christ, the firebrand of your faith, which is the game changer. You see, Peter... So he's seen the risen Christ, but he's still in the upper room. He has not yet gotten going because the Holy Spirit has not yet come. When the Holy Spirit came in his life, everything changed. He's out of hiding. There probably was a price on his head. We don't know, but it's probably a price on his head. He's hiding and all of a sudden the Holy Spirit comes and he's out there speaking to people. And we're going to pick up his story in Acts 3. Peter and John are going to church or going to the temple about three in the afternoon in Acts 3, and um, they come across this person who's been lame for 40 years, lame from birth, basically. And 
they probably would have passed by him a few times and he's begging and asking for money. And Peter and John said, look, we haven't got any money, but what we do have, we're going to give you. Peter puts out his hand, grabs hold of this guy's hand and raises him up onto his feet and he's completely healed. And then they go into church together, right? So if you're ever late for church, by the way, the only excuse you have is you stopped to heal somebody. Is that all right? Okay. I'll let you think about that one. I'm just kidding. Now I've lost where I was going. <laughs> okay. So he goes in the church with Peter and John and the people are going, hang on, isn't this, isn't this Frank? Isn't this Frank? We see Frank at the door every week. He's, 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 isn't this the same Frank who's lame? He's going, yeah, it's me. What happened? Oh, got healed. How did that happen? These two guys over here. So all the crowd sort of go with Frank over to these two guys and they're clinging and, and they're saying, what happened? What happened? What happened? And Peter's saying, well, it's not us. It's the risen Christ. He's the one who's made the difference. And then he starts, as Peter would, Peter starts to preach. He's in the temple, by the way. Remember, he's already in the temple. He starts to preach. And this is what he says. You, speaking to the people, you handed him, that is Jesus, over to be killed. And you disowned him before Pilate, though he had decided to let him go. In other words, he's, he's not talking just about you in general. He's saying, no, you, I, I saw you. You're in, the, you're in the crowd as well. Don't you laugh at Don't you? I'm not talking, pointing to anyone, by the way. But he's just pointing to people because the crowd that was in the temple were the same crowd that would have been around only seven or eight weeks ago crucifying Jesus. He says, you disowned the holy and righteous one and asked that a murderer be released to you. You killed the author of life, but God raised him up from the dead. And we are witnesses of this. Now, this happened, as I said, in the temple. Not the best place for Peter to be because Peter's been in hiding. And it's right next door to where the Sanhedrin and the Sadducees and the, and the people of the law are all probably having a meeting, a high court meeting as they do. So they would have heard the commotion. They come out and they said, it says the priests and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to Peter and John while they were speaking to the people and they didn't like what they were saying. So they seized Peter and John because it was evening. They put them in jail until the next day. Now you've got to understand, this group of people who are about to try Peter and John are the same people who put Jesus to death. So Caiaphas is there. Caiaphas, he's kind of the ringleader. He's the mastermind behind the crucifixion. He sort of sorted things out with Judas and uh, to make sure that they got the right person and so on. And so these are the people that Peter is standing before. You got the picture in your mind? It's pretty daunting when you think about it because these are the people put Jesus to death. They could very easily do the same for Peter and for John. So they had Peter and John brought before them, began to question them, by what power or what name did you do this? So this is the Supreme Court of Israel. Israel. There's Peter and John and probably dozens of these guys in the room. Have you ever been in court before? Have you ever been to the Supreme Court in any way? Anyone here been to the Supreme Court? No, not. <laughs> I've had an experience of that. I was called in the jury duty at the Supreme Court in Sydney. And I had an exemption. It was going to be a long court case and I had an exemption. I wanted to 
get an exemption. And to do that, I had to stand before the judge and the whole panel of people with all their wigs. And it was a bit daunting because the Supreme Court's this very large room. I don't know if you've been there. It's in Phillips Street in Sydney. And it's got granite and wood and glass. So everything echoes, right? It's just like, hello. And it's just someone said, let's build a, a fantastic courtroom with the worst acoustics in Australia. And they outdid themselves, right? It's just incredible. It's just awful. So I get called up and I'm standing there and the judge says, would you tell us why you should be exempt? So I gave them, told them why. And it was just silence. And I'm standing there waiting for him to speak. And it felt like about three hours, it was probably about four seconds. He looked at me, looked at the exemption, looked at me. He just went, excused, you may go. I couldn't get out of there fast enough. I thought if I ran, they might taser me or something, thinking I'm trying to get out of the Supreme Court. So I, when I read this, I'm thinking of that, and I'm thinking, that's my experience on steroids, because these are this is the highest court in the land. I wasn't on trial, not really. These guys are, and their lives are at stake. And so they asked Peter, in that, in that context, ask Peter, and then Peter answers them. It says, then Peter... Filled with the Holy Spirit. There's a clue, eh? There's a clue. He starts to give them the foundation of his faith. Rulers and elders are the people, if you are being called to account today on, uh, for an act of kindness shown to a cripple. Come on, George, come on, come, come, here, come on. What do I call him? To? Anyway, <laughs> what have he say? He's changed his name. Um, come on, don't be afraid. It's all right. These guys, these are nice guys. This guy here, all right? If I've been called to account for kindness shown to a cripple and asked how he was healed, then know this. You and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, wait for it, whom you crucified. <laughs> oh, you want to be filled with the Spirit to say something to, like, to someone like that who has your life in his hands, yeah? That's a filled with the Spirit moment whom you crucified, but whom God raised for the dead, that this man stands before you healed. It says, when they saw the courage of Peter and John, why the courage? Because they should have been on their knees begging and weeping to be able to get out of this. And they weren't. They're just standing there. It says that they, they realised that they were unschooled, ordinary men. They had no power. These guys are fishermen. They couldn't even read what was written around the walls in that room. They were uneducated. It says they were astonished and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. When the Holy Spirit is leading you, when the Holy Spirit comes in you, everything changes. Everything changes. And they tell them, don't, you know, don't preach, don't go back in the temple courts, don't do any of that. And then Peter says... Judge for yourselves whether it is right in God's sight to obey you rather than God, for we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and what we have heard. So here's the foundation of their faith coming in, what we have seen and what we have heard. Let me tell you something. Let me encourage you this morning. A person with a testimony, that's Peter and John, a person with a testimony is never at the mercy of somebody with an opinion. I got an amen in the first service. Again, amen. Who said that? Brilliant. Exactly. 
I'll say it again. A person with a testimony, a person with an experience of Jesus in their life is never at the mercy of someone who just has an idea, just has an opinion, just thinks something. And I want you to take that as an, as an encouragement this morning because what God has done in your life is powerful because when the Holy Spirit is in you and starts to work through you, I mean, everything changes. Everything is different. These people were filled with jealousy and because uh, they, they, they let him go. They let him go. They couldn't do anything because... Good old George, what have I called him? He's <laughs> here. This is a verifiable miracle right there. They couldn't do anything. They let him go, warn them not to preach, but they're jealous. And so they, go, they went back in the courts, uh, went back into the temple, and then they go and arrest them again because they said, don't do it. But they're going, you know, this is what God told us to do. They put him in jail and overnight, oh, an angel comes along, releases them from jail, and they get out. And so the, <laughs> it's kind of comical. Because the next day, the Sanhedrin kind of come together and they, they want to do their Supreme Court thing again. And they're going to try these guys yet again. This is the second or third time they want to do it. And they go to the, they go to the jail and get the guys. And they, go, they went there and they're not there. They're gone. They said, the jail's locked. We have no idea how they got out, but they're gone. And so um, I said, where are they? He says, they're in the temple courts preaching. <laughs> of course. Where else do you go? They're in the temple courts preaching. He says, well, can you go and get them? And so they, the temple guards go to, the, to where they're preaching. And this is where, when the Holy Spirit's in control, he tends to flip the script on things. He really does. He flips the script. So before, they would just walk in and they would arrest them. This time, they're on the back foot because they, so much is happening. These guys are drawing a crowd. People are getting healed left, right and centre. And if they were going to arrest them, they were afraid that the crowd would have stoned them to death. So this is my version. They sort of come up to Peter and to John. They say, um, <laughs> excuse me, um, we've got your court cases next door. Would it be okay if you guys came with us? We don't want to arrest you because they were a bit scared. Would you come with us? And they went, yeah, sure. So I came to the court case and they again started to try them. They said, look, you know, we told you, don't do it, don't do it, don't do it. And it says, Peter and the other apostles replied, we must obey God rather than men. And he begins to preach again. He says, the God of our fathers raised Jesus from the dead. And in case you didn't hear it the first time, whom you killed by hanging him on a tree. We are witnesses of these things. And so is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him. And when they heard that, they were furious and they wanted to kill him, kill them, kill all of them. But there was a guy, uh, a guy there, Gamaliel, who, who said, look, um, just chill out for a moment. He asked the apostles to go out. He wanted to talk to the whole Sanhedrin. And he said, look, you remember a few months ago, there's a guy over here who had a bunch of people who followed him. He died and they just dissipated. And remember over in this place in Israel, another guy had a whole following that would follow him and then he was killed and they all dissipated and just sort of died out. He said, why don't we just let this thing go? See if it dissipates. Just see if it goes. Because their leader had been killed, of course. Jesus had been crucified. Let's just see what happens because if this is of God, we're going to be fighting against God. Bit of wisdom. Bit of wisdom sort of came into that, that scenario. So they all come down. They said, all right, we won't kill them but they brought them the apostles back in and it says this I called the apostles in and had them flogged and they ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus and then let them go now you've got to understand something about a flogging 
Flogging was a thing of shame in those days. If you were flogged, it means you're a wicked, evil, horrible person, whatever. Um, today, if, if police want to do a background check on me, they just got to look at my license, rego number, whatever it is, and they can do a back check, background check on me and see what I've done or haven't done or whatever. In those days, they didn't have that, of course. Their background check, as someone else said, is they would just say, take your shirt off. And they would have a look at the flogging scars, the welts that they would cover, had those um, scars for the rest of their life, the rest of their life. They would have said, ah, okay, so you kind of, you know, had some problems with the Romans or you had some problems with the temple priests. Ah, okay, you're a problem. You're a troublemaker. You're a bad person. It was a thing of shame. Again, Holy Spirit flips the script on this. Listen to their attitude. When the Holy Spirit is filled with you, all of a sudden it changes. It said, the apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing because they'd been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name. Staggering, isn't it? Everything changes when the Holy Spirit is in control of your life. Everything changes. The script flips. <laughs> All of a sudden, the things that were of a disgrace are now a thing of joy. So did they obey the Sanhedrin when they were asked to leave? This is how that chapter 5 finishes. It says, day after day in the temple courts and from house to house. I find this funny. Anyone else find this funny? They're out there again, having been beaten, still out there. They never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Christ. Where are you at today? Where, like, are you kind of, some of you might be like, oh, you know, I'm just still figuring out this church stuff, still figuring out God, Jesus and all that stuff. But today there's something, something says to me, something jiggling in my heart that says, you know what? I've got to make a decision about this. Maybe today you want to say, yes, Jesus is the risen one. He did rise from the dead. And I want to, I want to take that first little step dip my toe in the water and check it out. And I just want to make that decision. Maybe that's you this morning. Maybe for some of you, you might, you might be still in the upper room where Peter was. You believe that Jesus has risen from the dead, but it's like you're in the starting blocks, but the gun for you hasn't gone off. <laughs> you're waiting for something to happen. Maybe today you just need to say, well, look, um, I don't remember having been immersed in the spirit of God, but gee, that'd be good. Because I really want to have a joy about my faith. I really want to have... I don't want to have a whole lot of have-tos. I want to have a whole lot of get-tos in my life. Am I making sense? I just want to get to do. Maybe you just need that power push from the Holy Spirit this morning to be immersed in Him as I have experienced and many of you have experienced before. Maybe you have had that experience, but maybe, oh, maybe life's got the better of and you go, you know what, I just want to be filled again. I just want to experience the fullness of God again in a fresh way because we're supposed to be filled continually. I know I, I have to be filled on a continual basis. I live a life of repentance and being filled. It's about every single day. So I want to invite you this morning just to have a think about where you're at with Jesus, what the Holy Spirit is doing, because he is moving, he is speaking, and he's speaking to everyone a little bit differently. And I'm going to ask this morning that as the worship team comes, that you respond to what God is doing in your life. You respond to what the Holy Spirit is saying. Maybe it's making that first time decision. Maybe it's saying, I've never really been 
immersed in the Spirit, baptized in the Spirit, baptized with the Spirit, whatever conjunction you want to put with it, however you want to articulate that kind of experience. And maybe like me, you've got no words to articulate. That's perfectly okay. What I can promise is, is that God is a good God. We sing it all the time. We believe it. God is a good God. He has no capacity for anything other than good. He can only do good in your life. So I'm going to ask that at least open yourself up to what God wants to do by the Holy Spirit in your life. And maybe you want to be immersed in the Spirit today and people can pray that. I'm going to pray for you as a, as a group in a moment. And maybe you go, well, you know what, I'm, I'm just tired. I just need, I need, I need another filling of the Holy Spirit this morning. And you might want to respond in that way. So how about we rise to stand with me. Uh, if you're able to, you can sit. If it's helpful for you to sit, please stay seated. Uh, it doesn't really matter. But sometimes for me, um, I like to stand. I, I like, for me, I like to put my hands in front. It's sort of like saying, God, I just want to receive whatever you have for me. If, that help, if that's helpful for you, nothing magical about it. It's just something that might be helpful for you. And say, God, I want to receive from you. Spend a moment in silence just asking God. Come Holy Spirit. Come Jesus. Father, will you speak in our lives right now? Would you move us where you want us to be moved? You give us the courage to do and to act on what you have spoken into our minds and into our hearts and into our souls. And I pray, come, Holy Spirit. Help us to get a vision of what it would look like if, if we were filled with the Holy Spirit, what would it look like for us as parents, as as um, friends, as children, as grandparents. The difference that being filled with the Spirit would look like at our workplaces or at the gym or what it could look like if this whole church was filled to overflowing with the Spirit. The difference it would make in the hunter. Indeed, this nation desperately dry for the Spirit. I pray, Holy Spirit, you would come into each person in their life right now. Manifest yourself in some way so that there's this, there's this tangible understanding that you love us. Your grace is poured out upon us. And that we are filled to overflowing with you. Just in that attitude of prayer, uh, I'm just going to ask the, the prayer team to come forward, if they would, those who are praying. And if you want prayer for anything, whether it's prayer for healing, whether it's prayer for you might want to receive the Spirit in this way and you want prayer for that, uh, anything at all that you just want to share uh, in prayer with somebody else. I've done this many, many times. I tell you what, it's a great 
opportunity right now. If God's speaking, please, please respond to Him right now. And do so as we worship. Thank you for listening to our Sunday podcast. If you enjoyed it, either subscribe or follow on the podcast app that you use to keep up to date on when our next Sunday podcast gets released. Have a safe and blessed week.